Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, well, you already know you're in the right place. Today's buzz, it's a small world after all. Don't worry, I'm not going to burst out into song. If you know Disney World in Orlando, you probably took that ride. I just have the song ringing in my ears, but I will refrain from sharing the refrain. Let's talk about it in the context of retail. For today's consumer, the world, in quotes, the world is just a few clicks away. Way. We as consumers are armed with anytime, anywhere information. We can do and we do find the best solutions for our lifestyle needs. Most often before we even walk into a store, set foot inside a restaurant, call up a service center, you name it, we've already done our homework, our legwork, if you will, before we even get to a person who's related to that business. So we are, what are we doing? We're maximizing the use of our time and this today is our most precious precious commodity. Let me just read a quick phrase I found here on the web when I was researching this topic. Time is the new oil. What it means is that in today's world, our time and our attention are very limited resources. When you consider yourself as a consumer, there have never been more brands competing for our attention. Our time is precious. They had better step up. So the bottom line is, any provider, as I mentioned in a store, restaurant, service center, anywhere, anybody doing business with a product or service, we will punish them if they waste our time. I think that's a very serious bottom line. We have a panel of experts who recently appeared on another one of our Coffee Break with Game Changers series. Actually, they were on, I believe, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers a couple of weeks ago. It was such a compelling conversation. I've asked these three panelists to come back and share their expertise on this topic with us here on Coffee Break. And our topic today is the networked economy, shaping the future of retail, part two. First up, let me welcome Brent Brown, Director of Retail Solutions and Strategies for the Worldwide Enterprise Services Team at HP. And here's a sports quote via Brent Brown from Wayne Gretzky. 100% 100 of the shots you don't take don't go in, dot, dot, dot. Brent Brown, welcome back. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm a big fan of Wayne Gretzky. So uh, uh, his quote is, uh, is meaningful in more ways than one. So thank you for having me. Oh, we're delighted. Talk to me about the quote. How does it relate to our topic here about getting back to retail and the networked economy, Brent? Well, I think, you know, when I think about the quote in itself, it, you know, it really reflects on how retailers um, are going to have to consider, you know, their uh, approaches to dealing with consumers and growing their business in the future. And, and if, they, if they, they need to take chances around new ideas um, and approaches to relationship uh, with consumers, but also to their business. And, you know, that the whole concept of the fast-fail um, around innovation is something that is talked about a lot, but uh, we just don't seem to see a lot uh, spending, um, you know, as much maybe time and energy on that as they probably could. And, and I think the quote is relevant to how retailers are going to have to figure out uh, ways uh, of of engaging their customers, uh, retaining their customers, and then building a trusted and valued relationship going forward. And if you don't take those chances, uh, you won't score. 
Ah, very good spin there, Brent. Very good spin. And I, as always, I think I detect a strong Canadian accent. Am I right? <laughs> you are correct. I am okay. Canadian. Well, there we go. Okay. And anybody who's wondering if you're scratching your heads, Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Douglas Gretzky is a Canadian former professional ice hockey player and former head coach who played 20 seasons in the National Hockey League for four teams between 1979 and 1999. There's a little bit of trivia for Gretzky fans or somebody who's wondering, who is Wayne Gretzky? Now we know. I think he's married to a famous model as well. Wasn't he married to, uh, was it Janet Jones or who was he married oh, yeah, to? Brent? Janet Jones. Yeah. yeah, I think I was at some uh, some games at Madison Square Garden, and somebody was pointing at his wife sitting across from us on the other side of the of the uh, rink. Yes, very interesting. Okay, let's next up on the panel, Brian Kilcourse, managing partner at Retail Systems Research, aka RSR Research, and Brian has sent me a quote from Peter Drucker. Here's the quote: "Trying to predict the future." is like trying to drive down a country road at night with no lights while looking out the back window. How profound. Welcome back, Brian Kilcourse. How are you today? I'm doing great, Bonnie, and how are you? I'm well. Thanks for the great quote. It reminds me of, of the old quote about uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. She could do everything Fred Astaire did, only better, dancing backwards in high heels. I don't know. Maybe that has something to do with the future, but <laughs> I, I, I digress. My head is in the small world thing at Disney World again. Brian, talk to me about this quote. Very interesting. Well, um, Peter Drucker has been a, um, a just a font of, uh, of, of knowledge for me since I started my management career many years ago. It was actually my father turned me on to him, just gave me a Drucker book and said, here, read this. turns out that uh, Mr. Drucker was right about a lot of things, and I think he's right about this one, but never, never so much as in today's world. One of the big problems that retailers have is that they basically use the past to predict the future as opposed to putting the, let's call it the sense and response, and um, capabilities in place to be able to react quickly to changes in the marketplace. So always basically reacting to what happened last time. And it's a huge challenge for them because uh, because they've moved, or they're being asked to move from a transactionally oriented mindset to, as I said, this kind of sense and respond mindset, the very, very big transition for them. I don't think that most of us or most of them have really articulated well just how big of a change that really is. I think uh, Drucker kind of saw this coming um, and, and spoke to it in this very plain way. Yeah, he did. And interestingly, Brian, uh, Drucker passed away in 2005, which is 10, that's a, a decade ago. Wow. And he was still, yeah, and, and yet his comments are very well taken and they will live on uh, well after he did. So thank you so much. We're seeing more and more Peter Drucker quotes on Game Changers Radio, by the way. They're just perennial, aren't they? Funny, they just... funny how that guy turned out to be kind of smart, huh? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. What can I tell you? Thank you very much, Brian. Again, welcome back. And let's bring on the third of our awesome trio today, returning to part two of this topic. It's Tim Hood, Global VP of Strategic Technologies and Chief Solution Architect for Retail at SAP. And here's a quote from, well, I think this is a first, Herman Melville. Anybody remember? Scratching your head? Well, (laughs) think about American literature from when you were in high school or maybe 
delayed in college. Uh, Melville lived from 1819 to 1891. We do a little flip of those numbers. American novelist, he wrote short stories, and he was a poet from the American Renaissance period. Most of his writings were between 1846 and 1857. Talk about longevity. And you may remember that he wrote Moby Dick the Whale, Typee, A Peep at Polynesian Life, Omu, Narrative of Adventures in the South Seas, and Billy Budd the Sailor. A lot of great titles there. Everybody must have read at least one of them. Tim Hood sent me the following quote from Herman Melville, long way around to a short story. We cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men, and among those fibers as sympathetic threads, our actions run as causes, and they come back to us as effects. I hope I read that appropriately, Tim Hood. How are you today? I'm very well, Bonnie. Thank you very much. Yes, I thought this was very interesting. We're talking about a very modern topic, that the networked economy, that this uh, quote still seems to be kind of uh, relevant from whatever that would be, 150 years ago. Of course, it should be updated to not just men, of course, be our fellow humans or men and women. But I, I thought it was a very lyrical uh, expression of, of the, no, the concept of social networks, uh, the, where the actions run as causes and they come right back to us as effects. I thought it was a very interesting uh, phrase um, and, and really does reflect the pace and the connectivity that consumers have amongst each other, the connection that consumers have to retailers, the retailers' connections should have, should have with their own suppliers mm-hmm. and their business partners, right, that everything that we do can come right back to us very quickly as effects, and that is only amplified in today's uh, technology world. Thank you very much. I, I agree. And I have a question for you, Tim, and very well put. You know, when I was reading this quote, Tim, I, I felt it was poetry rather yeah. than just reading something from a book, and that's how I tried to phrase it. Let me start with you before we go to what's in your cup today, because you all know that's part of why we're here on Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. My question first to Tim and then Brent and Brian is, do you agree with the quote I read in the opening, time is the new oil, and do you think in Tim Hood's case that Herman Melville would have agreed, uh, although he probably had all the time in the world to do what he did, but if he fast-forwarded to today, what do you, what do you think Tim Hood, Tim Hood, what do you think Herman Melville would say? I think anybody that fast-forwarded from 1850 to now would be uh, have their head spinning, I believe. Um, but certainly, I think I think we uh, I would certainly agree with the quote that time is the new oil. There is a limited amount of time we have a uh, we place more and more value on time, at least in the developed world, uh, where it is uh, it is a commodity. It is a valuable commodity and limited. So of course, it is key that we have only so much and don't waste it on me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Brent Brown, time is in oil. Thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I I definitely agree with the the comment. Um, I think the challenge that we have is is not only is time a precious commodity, but, you know, as we introduce new ideas and new technologies um, and things that are to make our life simpler, um, we find that um, our time gets absorbed into trying to make those things work. And I think we can all relate to that you know, mm-hmm. in our own personal lives when we're, we're using technology devices that apparently make our life simpler, that uh, oftentimes we end up um, uh, spreading ourselves very thin. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a reflection on, on uh, retail organizations as well, as they're trying to do that. Um, they, they just... 
that they're able they're not able to to spend as much time on the things that they're using for the business and you know I, I I can relate to that at a personal level but I think we can see it happening in organizations we're connected to as well thank you very much Brian Kilcourse thoughts on time is the new oil question mark well I yeah I absolutely agree with that Bonnie I um, I go back to I remember back in the in the 80s when we were starting to automate business processes in our in our companies and there was a guy named Tom DeMarco who boldly predicted that the work week would uh, would soon be 38 hours a week, be, and we'd all be focused on things that were more meaningful than in the past. Um, Tom, I hope, I hope he's not listening. He couldn't have been more wrong. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I had a 40-hour work week, um, and and I'm I'm a part owner of my business, so <laughs> think about that for a second. Everybody um, raise your hands if you agree with Brian. Hands up, everyone. Yes, of course you're right. It's, it's not, exactly it hasn't gotten right. less. Yeah, thank you very much. Guess what, Brent Brown, I'm going to go back to you because you were first up. What are you drinking right now, or what do you wish you were drinking after the show? Brent, it's time for our little beverage storytelling segment. Go ahead. Well, I'm actually uh, just drinking a tall, cold glass of water, but quite frankly, uh, to uh, to Brian's point, I really wish I had a Red Bull right now. <laughs> you know, somebody asked me to buy them a Red Bull. I think it was one of the doormen in my building one night. We have a convenience store across the street. One of those twenty-four-seven. It's called Limelight. We don't we don't have Seven Eleven. This name we have Limelight. It's a little fancier. And <laughs> on the North Shore of Long Island. And um, so I went over to buy a Red Bull, and I looked in the refrigerator cabinet, uh, refrigerator, and there were so many varieties. I yeah. didn't know which one to buy. So, what's your favorite brand? Can we get more specific? Well, I like the new. Uh, blueberry flavor um you know i think it uh, it gives me the most energy to continue doing my work um late at night and uh, uh enjoy <laughs> the flavor of it too so i think uh i think brian's spot on that uh you know we we, we it doesn't seem reasonable to have an eight-hour work day anymore and and i think we're also finding our our uh, our time split across the day in a different way than we were before so you know working different hours within a day and and uh so sometimes a Red Bull is the, is the right pick-me-up to keep me going. <laughs> Very well put. And, you know, just a side note, we I think we have officially given up on the concept of work-life balance, and now it's called work-life integration because exactly what you said, Brent, we fit work into our lives at different times than we used to. It's not a straight eight-hour, nine-hour day for so many of us. It's fit in three hours here, five hours there, catch up two hours after midnight, start early before anything goes on. It is integrating everything together. Together. So very well put, and enjoy your Red Bull when you get to it. Brian Kilcourse, what are you drinking? <laughs> I am drinking a bottle of Smart Water, which is basically Pedialyte for grown-ups. <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel smarter? You know, I, I'm not sure. I might be a lot dumber because although uh, time is the new oil, I think we still spend more on water than we do on oil. So, uh, um, But uh, we're out in California, and California is expecting yeah. a hot day today, and water seemed like the right thing to drink. Oh, yes, I know, I know. Is the drought getting any better? Any hope in sight? Uh, well, um, I'm looking at uh, Golden Hills right now, and Golden is one of those marketing ploys that, that California came up with. It's actually just brown, but we call it golden. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and you're brutal. And there's not a drop of rain in sight. 
Uh, well, we keep getting on and off showers here in New York. It's cloudy right now. Yesterday, the humidity was so thick you could cut it with a knife, and every hour or two, there'd be a downpour, and then the sun came out, and then it went to cloud, and then it went to cutting the air with a knife. So if I could bottle it up in adequate quantities, I would send it to you, Brian. My heart is with you. So thank you very much for the, the Golden Hills comment. Tim Hood, drinkest what thou? <laughs> what thou? <laughs> uh, today, I'm going to complete the trilogy and say I am also drinking a tall glass of water. Um, of course, I have had my fill of nice black coffee because that's what I, the way I like my coffee, with just coffee in it. Uh, and I did need to stop because I need to let my colleagues have a few words uh, somewhere in this conversation. If I kept drinking, that might not be a problem. That might be a problem. So, but uh, otherwise, uh, and I feel a little inadequate because my water, perhaps it's dumb water because it's just water. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there, it depends on what your municipality is and what your water system is. You know, people well, have told me that... comes from a well directly underneath my house, so I'm quite... Oh, concerned. well, it's probably very smart if you know that there's a well under your house. People have told me that the water here in Nassau County is horrible compared to New York City water. I'm about a mile from the Queens-New York City border. I think our water tastes just fine here, so I hope it's making me smart because that's all they let me drink on show days, as the three of you <laughs> knows. Uh, let's see, I have a pink straw today in my very pretty cup with cold water that came through a Brita filter, and that's as fancy as it gets here. Guess what? It's time for us to take a break, and you can all have a pause that hopefully will refresh. Our topic today is the networked economy, shaping the future of retail, part two, and I'm delighted to be speaking again with a superb panel. We have Brent Brown at HP, Brian Kilcoris at RSR Research, and Tim Hood at SAP, and we have to do a shout-out to Wilson Zhu, and he goes on, on uh, Twitter at handle T-H-E-Z-H-U, but he told me he pronounces his last name Zhu, who was the uh, creator of this topic on his series, Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, a couple weeks ago, and it was so good that I invited the panel back. So Wilson's out there listening and tweeting at hashtag SAP Radio. If anybody wants to join him on Twitter and comment on the show, we would love to see you there. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, Brent Brown is going to open up the roundtable. We're going to talk about worlds that collide, retail and consumer packaged foods. Can't wait to hear that. I'm sure Red Bull fits in there somewhere, Brent. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Brent out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com 
And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and our topic today is The Networked Economy, Shaping the Future of Retail, Part 2. And we've brought back Brent Brown from HP, Brian Kilcoris from RSR Research, and Tim Hood from SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the rest of the hour. Let's see. Brent Brown, we're going to kick off our roundtable. Let me read a couple comments from your notes, and then you can run with it. You say, worlds collide. Retail and consumer packaged goods, packaged foods, I should say. The increasingly competitive nature between the two groups creates the potential for the next wave of retailing. Well, that's certainly provocative. Go ahead, Brent. Why don't you start the conversation? Certainly. Thanks, Bonnie. It, you know, I mm-hmm. think it actually should be consumer packaged goods, not specific okay. foods. Okay. Uh, All right. But, uh, Indeed, you know, when we think about um, the relationship um, between uh, the CPG manufacturers and retailers, it has always been a little bit of a a contentious relationship. And I I believe that as we move into the next wave of retailing, the the lines uh, and the relationship between both brand and retailer is going to have to change and will have to improve, um, certainly in this networked economy and we think about uh, you know global supply chains and the ability to be responsive to consumer with what their needs are uh, mm-hmm. both sides of that equation have to be uh, on top of their game they have to be together if they're going to win and I think that's going to be something that we're going to see um, you know change we're already starting to see those relationships build to a different degree and and ultimately the consumer should benefit from it. So we're looking already into our future of retailing the next wave. Let's see what Brian Kilcourse has to say. Do you agree with this, Brian? Well, there's uh, there's no question that the the relationship between CPGs and retailers in, in the past has been somewhat somewhat adversarial. <laughs> Some of the most uncomfortable meetings I ever had as an executive in retail was in the annual review of the account with various of our big providers, um, because there's always some pretty stark disagreement. But um, well, wait a minute. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about that stark disagreement? I, I think uh, outsiders might appreciate that if you can share anything. Well, let's imagine that you're, um, uh, let's, you're a household soap manufacturer, and you're a big mm-hmm. one, uh, and, and you want shelf space. You want the best shelf space. You want the retailers to present your brand in the most advantageous way, because that's what retailers do. They create this mm-hmm. kind of entertaining world that we all, we all go to when we go to a store, hopefully entertaining. And, um, and, and if you don't feel perhaps that the retailer is doing a good enough job or, or protecting your brand or presenting your brand in the best way possible, that creates a little bit of resentment. I will also tell you that the CPGs pay a lot of money to retailers to, to promote their brands, and they want to get their money's worth out of it. The retailer, on the other hand, um, it tends to think that the, 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 the consumer product manufacturer uh, doesn't quite appreciate what it is that they actually do, the magic that they create in the store. And so they have this, they have this weird relationship where, where to, to, a, um, to a retailer, a CPG is just a supplier, and to a, to a CPG manufacturer, a retailer is just a point of distribution. And they're, they're both much, much more than that. The thing that they got wrong is that they're thinking of it as a chain. You know, it, it starts here and it goes there. But, in fact, they're working together to, to meet consumer demand and to satisfy people's lifestyle requirements. And, um, and they need to start thinking like that. 
Okay, thank you for that. I appreciate that. And Tim Hood, comments on this? No, I think it's uh, absolutely correct that there has to be a change, right? There's uh, the adversarial nature of the history. It, it, it's effectively leaving money on the table. If we're all holding our cards close to the chest, um, it's definitely not the most efficient market, right? <clears throat> So I think there are lots of opportunities. The, of course, the interesting challenge is, of course, the CPG, CPG companies trying to go direct to the consumer, so trying to get to that end game of the actual customer name, Tim Hood, as the purchaser of that toothpaste in Brian's example, is, uh, is a challenge. The retailer owns that, and they want to maintain it. So that's an inevitable conflict. Um, but there is opportunities, right? If, the, if we look at the net and, and bringing in the concept of the network, right, how do we use the network to get the retailer and their CP, CP companies to collaborate more effectively, be more dynamic. You know, you could think of some examples around trade promotions where the, <clears throat> the CP is providing funds and the retailer should be using them, and there's a, that's the uh, infamous black hole in many cases. And also things like historically the retailer uh, placed an order with the CP, right? But what if they were able to share a forecast and the CP could make could plan their manufacturing runs better and be more proactive without requiring a commitment on the order? It's really just, my, here's my best guess, and then we can somehow work together. Of course, it's going to be more efficient. So I think there has mm-hmm. to be a change because the market, uh, you know, the consumers are driving us down. Uh, from a price perspective that we have to manage and the, you know, the competitive market is always there. So we have to really work collectively to find a way to improve our business uh, overall. Thank you very much. Brent Brown, I'm going to circle back to you. Thoughts on what your co-panelists have shared on your topic? Yeah, I, uh, I, I have deep respect for both my co-panelists. So I, I, I'm going to share and reflect back on on their comments. I, I you know I believe that you know going forward um, there there is avenue to change. I and you know to made the comment that we're starting to see more of the 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 brands going direct to consumer and uh, and of course that that's true. Um, I think all of us who are consumers are beginning to see brands pop up in shopping centers and locations. Um, and you might be familiar with that brand, but you are, were familiar with that brand inside the confines of another retail uh, outlet, mm-hmm. but now you're seeing that brand stand alone. And um, that, that creates um, both excitement, but it also creates uh, a degree of confusion to some extent mm-hmm. because you get into challenges around pricing and, and, and customer expectation. And, uh, and I think that uh, that's really the reflection on what... Uh, what Brian was referring to earlier too, that, uh, you know, that, that can cause problems. So it, it, it's all goodness for us on the consumer side, but, uh, um, ultimately if we're diverging by way in which we get to market and consumers, you know, are, are going to become more sophisticated in which, uh, they're able to use devices to access prices, uh, then they will ultimately win. So back to the relationship between the retailer and the consumers, they've got to find a way to collaborate together so that they're not competitive in the marketplace. 
Thank you very much. Brian Kilcoris, I'm going to look into some of your notes you sent me before the show, and I, I think we're going to focus now back on the consumer. Let me read something, and you can run with it. You say, consumers will hack, in quotes, and you can explain that. Consumers will hack the shopping experience if a retailer doesn't provide the information they need to make the best purchase decision. And you add, retailers are comforted that over 90% of sales still come from stores, but they should be worried because not long ago, more than 95% of sales came from the stores. Is this a downhill slide really fast from brick-and-mortar, face-to-face sales to over-the-web to any kind of digital experience or even phones experience? Brian, why don't you enlighten us, please? Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I would be concerned if if 5% of my business went away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would worry me. Um, um, and, you know, they, we're talking about huge numbers here. So in, yeah, in, in, the, in the context of retail, 5% of that is just a relatively small number, but it's twice as big as it used to be. I think the bigger issue is, is that consumers are actually using information in the digital space. You know, we, we've been talking about omni-channel for years, and I try not mm-hmm. to use that word, so I won't say it again today. Um, <laughs> but uh, we use the, dig- the digital side of the, of the experience and the physical side of the experience together. And a perfect example is someone walking into a, a store and reading reviews from Amazon. Now, Amazon is competing mm-hmm. with that store. As a matter of fact, by the way, it's almost uh, tomorrow is uh, Amazon's 20th birthday, so happy birthday, Amazon. Ah. But um, uh, many of us, I know I do this all the time, I'll get onto the Amazon site and I'll read reviews while I'm standing in a competitor's store. So what am I doing? I'm hacking the experience. Um, and the reason I'm reading Amazon's reviews is because I, can't, I don't feel like I'm get, getting the right information from the retailer themselves. Um, now, what does it take for, for, for me to just say, oh, to heck with it and push the one-click button and buy it from Amazon? The moment that experience in the store becomes less than compelling. Um, you know, the, I, I used to use a, con, a phrase in the context of technology that I think holds generally to any solution that we are dealing with, and that's a, a solution has to be easier to use than to ignore. And stores have been, you know, have been the place where we go because they're easy, they're convenient, the prices are good, the products are there, we can find our solutions. But the moment that something else becomes easier for a huge number Mm -hmm. of the products that we buy, and particularly in the consumer product space, it's pretty easy to see how this could get completely disintermediated, just like books and music. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Are we there yet? We're not there. But can we get there? I think we can get there. Interesting, Brian, you mentioned... Go ahead, go ahead. The question is, do we want to get there? I mean, as people, as as humans, is that what we want? Um, That's that's worthy of discussion. Thank you. I I have to tell you that when you mentioned Amazon's 20th birthday, you know I Googled it just to see what was in the works, and apparently somebody is taking advantage of this wonderful opportunity to put out a phishing scam. That's P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Of course, we're not all going to the lake with a rod and pole and some some chum. It says Amazon 90% discount coupon email, and it is a hoax. So anybody who got it, you are not the one of 10,000 
customers, other customers who are randomly chosen to be the winner of a discount coupon for 90% off of any Amazon product. And our listening audience anywhere in the world, if you got it, it's false. Just delete it. They're looking for your information. So I just had to add that. So happy birthday anyway, Amazon. And somebody's out there to take away some of the glory. Tim Hood, let's talk about what Brian Kilchrist just shared. Thoughts? Yeah, there's a couple of interesting points in there, Brian. So the first that I picked up is the, your example about reviews, because I think it's, 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 a, it's such a perfect example of how pervasive social networks have become, right? Even for people right. like me, I'll go with me, who's not a millennial, who's somewhat more advanced in age than a millennial, reviews are critical. I mean, you talked about that. It's not really an option anymore. So, and, and you would, I, I would counter Brian's statement that they don't, if the retailer's not supplying enough, I, I don't think it matters that the retailer supplies enough or too much. There will always be reviews, right? So I take, and most consumers take what the retailer says or the brand says and then supplement that heavily mm-hmm. with the information that my peers say. And yes, I know some of them are garbage, some of them are sponsored, some of them are just hate mail from the competitors and <laughs> et cetera. So there's a, there's a middle ground you take, but you know, it is, pervasive it's it's ubiquitous you you know re- reviews are here to stay and it's a it's a it's a it's a concept of the social network that really didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago if you think about it was was there a review 15 20 years ago not maybe a professional reviewer in a, in a magazine on a piece of electronics but certainly not a review of you know how sturdy this toy is right something like that so I think that's really a, a telling example uh, of how networks have evolved, and that's just one type of network, the social network around the consumers, that, um, that really it, it's here to stay. There isn't, it's not an option, right, to say, well, I'll choose to ignore it I, or I'll support reviews or not. They, they exist. People will express their opinions and publish them. And so it's a matter for the retailers and the brands to manage that and stay on top of it. It's, 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 you know, the ostrich approach does not work at all there. So I do think it's a very telling example of networks. And then, of course, the other discussion that you, you brought up, Ryan, is around uh, the channel, right, 5%, 10%. But, of course, what's critical in the, the new world of digital is that um, <clears throat> it's not that 5 or 10% of the transactions, depending on how you, you count it, are happening on the other channel. It's that a majority of the transactions that happen in the store are actually influenced on that other channel. And I think you Absolutely. touched on that, Brian, with the digital, the, you know, the mobile and the web, the web implications. Um, it's fundamental that the the retailers have to reach out using any means possible, whether it's social networks, whether it's a, yes, let's hope it's a real coupon that's sent through the uh, mm-hmm. mail, not a fishing coupon, but mm-hmm. you know, reach, reaching out, whether it's a direct message or um, <clears throat> Twitter uh, direct messages or SMS or emails, however the consumer wants to get the information the retailers are using those networks to reach out and brands to, to connect with the consumers to influence the behavior. Because, yes, uh, if I'm buying clothes, I'm almost every time going to go physically to the store. I need to touch them and try them on, right, except for maybe things that I, you know, Levi's jeans that I know exactly for 40 years. I've been buying the same ones. But and Zappos, in many shoes. Case, yeah. In many case, cases, I'm going to go to the store because that's, that's mm-hmm. my dimension. Of course, there's a social dimension in the store, and, and, you know, one of Brian's colleagues wrote an interesting article this week about that as well. Uh, that was very interesting. Ah, what, what was the comment? What was the comment was from... The, what, is the, what, is, what, is, what is the store? And, of course, the essence that I think we all know is that, and I think Brent touched on it earlier, is that the challenge is to make that store experience interesting, engaging, uh, and 
relevant as it is on the web, right? When I go to a web, if I'm looking at a detailed product page, the you know all the technology behind the scenes can figure out what have I purchased in the past, what's I, what have I looked at in the past, mm-hmm. and make some recommendations. No, no, don't you know? Maybe you should consider this other product based on what you uh, have purchased in the past, or here's something that goes well with that product. And of course, in the store, we're left alone trying to find someone to talk to. Uh, yeah, right. I have yep. to walk up and stand in line at a till to to find a human that might actually uh, provide some sort of interaction. In many That's cases. right. That's so right. That's good good points. Challenge. Brent Brown, I want to bring you into this. A lot of a uh, lot of thoughts here, a lot of ideas. What are you thinking about right now? Yeah, I'm I'm uh with Brian on the uh on the concern or the issue with the term uh, omni-channel. Um I think we were at one point probably were all uh advocates of the term, um but we've come to dislike it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, we've actually, you know, in, in our uh, vernacular here, we, here we've we've switched it to the omni consumer. So Brian, don't shoot me if it's just a variation on the on the uh, on the other. But you know, I think our thought is that it's really the consumer who's you know the omni portion of it. It's not necessarily the channel because the customer is is the one who's driving the change. And uh, so if it really is a reflection on the consumer, then it should should reflect so. So. Um, I, I, I agree with that statement. I, what, what's interesting to me is um, the comments that that, uh, that Brian had and Tim had. I think come back to to what we were talking about earlier. Is that it is a reflection of time um, that when we're in a store and we're looking for help, we can't find help, or we're looking for information on products um, or services, and we can't get our hands on the information that we that we have or that we need to have in order to make a, the best decision. And that, that becomes a reflection of time. So, you know, whoever shortens that window to get me, uh, you know, to the right information at the right uh, time, you know, usually will win. And, and I think that's, you know, what Brian was sharing, that, you know, he'll go out to get those reviews. And, and that's absolutely true. And, and the need for uh, the retailers to deliver that content back again to the, the, the topic of, of experience uh, and information as it reflects on time that that really will be uh, the piece that, that that helps differentiate it so that when a consumer is in the store uh, they can make the most informed best uh, uh, best educated uh, decision that they can and uh, and then they'll return if they feel they're uh, they're being serviced the best way so um, th- those are my comments Bonnie Thank you very much. Brian, any thoughts on this? We've gone around the table. Talk to me. Talk no, to me. That's right. It, it's, it's exactly right. I, I, was a, I was an executive at a, at a drugstore chain, and one of the things I used to watch with a great deal of chagrin is you'd go to the um, over-the-counter drug section of the store, and you'd see folks, oftentimes older folks, trying to read the tiny labels on the side of, of the pill bottles, right? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes they'd spend 20 minutes trying to find the right cough syrup. Um, isn't there a way that we can solve that? with today's technology, now, in both to respect that person's time and maybe to give them more time to enjoy the rest of the store rather than spending 20 minutes reading a label on a, on a, for a bottle of Triaminic or whatever. Um, these are things that we should be able to solve with today's technology and to bring that digital stuff into the store. I'm trying not to use the word channel because consumers mm-hmm. don't think of channels. It's just a solution. I have a nagging cough. I need some cough syrup. What's the right one? Um, you know, those, those are the kinds of things that people are, are, are having to deal with in their lives, and we're getting in their way if we don't provide them the information. That's why I said most consumers today will hack the experience 
you know, I'm older than Tim. He, he was being polite. I'm I'm not a digital native. I'm a digital vacationer. But, um, uh, Hardly. <laughs> Let's not but, get into um, an age discussion, Brian. I trump you all, but that's that's my secret, and you can guess. Go ahead. I'm not going to guess. Um, no, dear. Very impolite, but I use technology to solve those problems, and and I'm just like yes. anybody else in that regard. Okay. I, I have a couple of comments before we move to a new topic with Tim Hood. Uh, we were talking about reviewers and people sharing reviews, uh, consumer reviews and, and word of mouth. We've always had, or as long as I can remember, reviews by so-called professional movie reviewers, mm-hmm. restaurant reviewers, book reviewers. And we've always taken this as, I think, in my opinion, unfortunately, the word from the mountain. Don't see this movie because. Do read this book because. Don't go to this restaurant because. Well, I worked for a small local newspaper as an assistant editor in 1998-99. That's all I could take. <laughs> and I remember who did those restaurant reviews. It was the one on the staff who loved to eat more than anybody else. And she got invited to all the new restaurants. And she wrote under a pseudonym what was good on the menu. There was nothing expert about these. It was just Valerie's opinion of the pasta and the the fusilli, whether it was it was al dente or not in uh, in uh, somebody's restaurant down the block. So, and movie reviews to me have always been ignore the reviewer, go see the movie and decide for yourself. So, just to comment on that, sorry to to butt in with that, but I think it's very very valid. One more thing about about recommendations. There are so many, and we haven't touched on this. There's so many gurus, and I put that word in quotes in capital letters on TV talk shows who are recommending to people what you should buy or do for your health. Any of you familiar with some of the so-called medical gurus who are on every single day with experts, also in quotes, who wrote books, also in quotes, who are telling us what to buy, where to go, how to do it, what to do for our health that the mainstream medical community has so supposedly missed or misled us on. So there are all kinds of influences that are even just on TV. And I think that's, uh, Brian, not to overuse the word, or uh, forgive me, but that's a real channel where people are getting their information from. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think we're getting pummeled with all kinds of information. Somebody, somebody put a joke out on Facebook that that's, it showed a picture of Abraham Lincoln and said, uh, "Don't believe everything you read on the internet." Abraham Lincoln, eighteen sixty-three. Um, <laughs> Very well put. Yes, you know, yes, yes. The opposite story. This is Tim. Is my personal example. I was looking for a vacation place this summer, and we found one that had zero reviews, and I discounted it immediately and said, "That can't be real. There's something wrong." Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. the opposite side of this, right? That, yep. Uh, I expect them now. I want to see something from normal humans, not necessarily gurus. That's right. Um, and when you go to a restaurant, you want to see people sitting there enjoying a meal yeah, rather than two people in a 500-seat restaurant. Oh, this exactly. couldn't be good. Nobody's here, right? That's and and we go on and on. Tim. Glad you popped in there. I'm ready to go to a topic in your list, and we have enough time to cover this. Your topic is security and privacy must remain top of mind. I don't think we've covered this at all. You say, as the firewall for a retailer becomes more porous, in quotes, additional scrutiny has to be placed on security, not just the retailer themselves, but partners and consumers. Since this is a brand-new topic, why don't you give me more information? Yeah. I mean, it's it's inevitable. What's a network? It's a connection of, of individuals, right? whatever phrase you want to put that, individual corporate entities or personal entities. And so by definition, we have to have digital connections between them. And certainly for a retailer, they will have connections with consumers. They will have connections with their uh, business partners. And, you know, it's inevitable that that's the kind of 
direct result of saying, well, well, there's a network economy, we need to be networked with more partners to be more agile, then, of course, you have more connections into your internal systems. And so it's absolutely critical that retailers, and my focus is retail, but every, every entity that participates in the networked economy has to be more vigilant. That includes us as consumers, right? You've gone back to your phishing comment, right? And definitely mm-hmm. my bank will never send me something saying, click here to log in. I know that. Most people mm-hmm. should know that. Um, but it's, it's critical that we all have to be um, vigilant because there's all these uh, computing entities and personal entities there that uh, are have the possibility of being malicious, right? And, and we all hear about many mm-hmm. types of cyber, cyber activity that is a problem. And so, you know, we look at some of the famous uh, breaches recently in retail. One was caused yeah. by a HVAC uh, supplier, I believe. Somehow they got in through the entry that the HVAC had, uh, the HVAC supplier had into the network. So it's wow. just inevitable. Right, and the other the other side of this that I you know so there's that's the the perimeter right, and we all know that there's a citadel model. You have to have multiple layers, and one is not enough. One solid wall on the outside isn't enough. You have to have multiple tiers of security. But you know, I also think about these idea where retailers going to this idea that that's the security side. Privacy is also uh, critical, right? We have mm-hmm. all this information uh, that is available to retailers, right? Consumers are leaving breadcrumbs around whether they know it or not, right? And right. it's we have to, the retailers have to transition from a can we to a should we uh, concept, right? I mean, can we, that we, we, we went past the sort of technical limitations a few years ago, five or ten years ago. Now we have all this access. Now the question is, should we? And one of the key points is, okay, so we collect all this information. We agree as a retailer we will follow privacy legislations and we'll be ethical. But what happens if, and so we have all this detailed information, though. We'll only use it in the proper way. But what happens if we're breached? Someone can get in and get that very same data and use it in unethical ways. So just having the data is a, a challenge and a danger to the retailers, even if they are fully committed to using it only in the appropriate way. The fact that they have it is, is, is a danger, is absolutely a danger. Mm-hmm. Interesting. When I just Googled the 20th birthday of Amazon a few minutes ago and mentioned the phishing scam to all of you, an ad popped up. On that information page about the phishing scam for Natori, N-A-T-O-R-I, which is a beautiful brand of women's lingerie. And I happened to recently look at Natori because I own a Natori slip from years ago and I wanted to see what it would cost me to replace it today. And it's a lot of money. But why in the world on a phishing scam page would a Natori ad pop up unless somebody knew, oh, we got a cookie out there for this cookie somewhere and that's what she's interested in buying right now. I was literally shocked. I didn't have, (laughs) how did that get on that page? Somebody knew where I had been. There are no secrets. we just had Tim Hood yes, comment on breadcrumbs. Uh, that's it. That's yeah. it. Hopefully they're toasted and tasty. Brent Brown, thoughts on privacy and security. Love to get your POV on this. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, boy, this is a topic that uh, could extend way beyond uh, the time that we have left, Bonnie. But um, you know, when you think about um, you know Tim's comments, I you know I, I believe that the most critical elements are around you know that consumer uh, information the consumer privacy uh, elements and and indeed you know Tim is correct there you know how how do they to, how do they manage it and how do they treat that information I think you know one other aspect of this too is it happens to fall into the uh, to the digital asset side you know mm-hmm. the, the the pieces that that retailers own um, that may be shared, and they may it may be pieces of content, it may be pieces of 
of uh, uh, digital assets that they possess with their partners, back to the issue of CPGs. And, um, you know, to your point, that story, that is that, is that information being used inappropriately at the, at the wrong time mm-hmm. in an interaction with a consumer? So it, 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 it's, it's critical around customer information that, that relates to our credit cards and our personal information. But I think there's a lot of things that we're beginning to discover on the back end of the retail organization that also those assets also need to be protected because they need to be um, you know, held in confidence to the organization, to their partners, their trading partners, and then how that relates back to the consumer because we all want to make sure that when we are buying something, we are not buying counterfeit. And that's another issue in and of itself related to this, mm-hmm. that, that we have to ensure that, you know, for those consumers who are buying online, that they're getting what they said, you know, they, they were promised. And quite frankly, that's becoming a huge challenge uh, for retailers as well. So I think security is extending into other areas of the business, um, uh, you know, beyond just the, the consumer data. But, I mean, it. It is the number one priority, but I think we're going to see more areas grow uh, around uh, trying to protect uh, those assets. Thank you. I think we just got a reason to invite you all back for part three and focus on <laughs> privacy and security. You know I'm always looking to cook up new topics for Coffee Break, so you will get an invitation from me. Brian Kilcourse, thoughts on this before we go? Let's see. In about two minutes, we're going to move into our crystal ball predictions round. So, Brian, you want to wrap this one up? I'll give it a shot, although that's, sure. a, as you say, another hour discussion. I, you know, oh, yeah, uh, we'll have it. The, the first problem that we have to re- remind ourselves is those people who would steal data today are, are really, really good data processors, and they spend 24 hours a day thinking about how to steal data, whereas retailers spend just a, just a tiny portion of their time thinking about how to protect data, and that's, uh, that's a danger right there. But more fundamentally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Tim mentioned citadels, and the idea is you have perimeters, uh, security perimeters, and once you breach the perimeters, think of it as a fence. Once you get over the fence, you're, in, you're on the other side. You can do whatever you want. This is, I hate to use this word, but it's, it's a paradigm that we've been following for years and years, and it started with the glass house. If you could get inside the computer room, the glass house, and you could do whatever you wanted. And then we put terminals, and we had rack F or whatever the security system that we had at the day, and now we have new types of perimeters. But they, perimeters can be breached. They can always be breached. Mm-hmm. This is a challenge for the technology companies, and I'm not a technologist like this, but um, I think that we're thinking about security wrong. I think we need to think about it the way our body thinks about DNA, is that you can't apply DNA to certain cells that, 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 are, that the DNA isn't associated with. It doesn't work. And there has to be some sort of, of rules of use and security DNA associated with data as part, as part of the data. Now, that's a bigger thought than I have a brain to, to absorb, but I think that we're, as long as we continue to think about perimeters, there will be people in the world who think about busting those perimeters, and it will never go away. So um, I would suggest that the, the definition of insanity applies here, doing the same things over and over again and expecting mm-hmm. a different result. Um, maybe as a technology industry, we need to think about a whole new security paradigm. 
There you go. There's a big thought. Thank you. There's a big thought, and that's part three, and I'm inviting you all back, and thank you for that Albert Einstein quote, Insanity. Yes, we know that one, and we love it, and it was in your alternate quote notes. I'm going to circle back to Brent Brown, and uh, by the way, Tim, if you want to comment on what your co-panelist said about privacy and security, you can do that in your prediction statement if you'd like to, or just save it for part three. It's okay with me. Brent Brown, let's fast forward the conversation. I still love the year 2020 because it sounds so good. It has its own TV show, but you can look into the crystal ball and go anytime in the future you would like. So Brent, if we talked again at a point in the future on the networked economy, shaping the future of retail, what do you predict would be different? Brent Brown, 60 seconds, go. Um, I'm, I'm going to stay away from predicting on the, the nature of, uh, of, of retail, but I'm, I'll make the prediction more around um, the technology side. And I, the prediction is this. I believe that data uh, in and of itself um, and big data and analytics will drive the organization holistically. And what I mean by that is I think we're going to see uh, data in all forms essentially shape the way in which consumer or sort of retailers survive and those who make best use of it um, uh, you know directly in its in its pure form of data uh, they can get to the answers quicker and they can get to the consumers quicker and I think that's really the uh, the future of of, uh, of retail that we're moving towards uh, an analytics based um, uh, strategy for retailing. Thank you very much, Brian Kilcroy. You're up. Sixty seconds. Predictions. How far in the future are you looking? Go. That's five years. Sounds good to me. I, I, okay. I think that what I think that what's happening, and it's happening right before our very eyes, is that it, I let me call them solutions networks are starting to emerge that are a combination of retailers and other service providers and product providers that solve people's problems, and people will plug into those solution networks. In much the same way as we plug into the electrical network or the telephone network or the Internet itself, um, that uh, people will outsource lifestyle issues as the reliability and the trustability of those networks continues to, to, to move forward. Now, there will be bumps along the road, and some of them will probably be really ugly, and I predict that they'll all be related to security and privacy. But I think that that's what's going to happen. Thank you very much, Tim Hood. I saved 60 seconds for you. We might even have a little more. I'm going to give you, because I didn't give you a chance to respond on the comments on privacy and security, I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your response and your predictions. Tim Hood, go ahead. It's a world of time. Take your time. In the future, perhaps. You certainly can. (laughs) And I would be, I'm definitely aligned with both of the uh, previous statements. I would take Brian's maybe a little further and say that I would say that uh, in five years, uh, tools that we provide to the inside, the employees inside <clears throat> a retailer's organization will all be uh, networked in some form or another, usually some sort of social. That is how the millennials think and interact, and so, of course, we're going to provide tools that work that way. And likewise, I think uh, I would say that's very much aligned with what Brian was saying, that the retailers and suppliers will all be networked one way or another, right? It's, it's you know, the equivalent of EDI, which is putting a, an invoice in the mail and sending it off, is, is no longer uh, enough, right? So I can definitely see those kind of networks. And, again, uh, relating to security, I agree there's some bumps and... and uh, Bumps will definitely be there. Many more. Uh, I, I can. Uh, my prediction is they will only increase the number of breaches, uh, and we, you know, we we think they've been increasing recently. It will increase even more, and I think the result will be 
as I was talking about earlier, some, some retailers will start to think that they're not going to store the data because it's to, to, to such a risk that it could, be, uh, it could be stolen or breached, that they will actually take the action, conscious action to not store it, which would be a mindset change for sure, uh, and, and maybe a little bit contradictory to what Brent was saying about the big network, the big data, right, because they're trying to use this data to drive their business, absolutely correct, but they may actually make conscious choice not to store it uh, due to the risk. Mm. Interesting. Thank you very much. I have a quick lightning round question for the three of you. Worlds collide. Let's go back to Brent's opening statement. Will there ever be a love affair between retail and CPG, or will it always be a push-me-pull-you-this-relationship's-in-trouble-we-need-a-counselor or a marriage counselor? Uh, yes or no, will they ever be in love with each other? Brent, first. Well, I, I'm going to be uh, optimistic and say that, yes, uh, they can. Um, I think there is. it's a new world. And I think both uh, both sides are learning that uh, retailers are sharing to the brands that they are experts in their trade, and uh, mm. the brands uh, are doing the same thing. I think both are gaining uh, more of a mutual respect uh, for each other, and I, I'm an optimist, and I'll say that they will, and I think that will be uh, the future of how uh, we get to market together. Thank you. Out of time. Brian Kilcourse, yes or no? I think yes, it'll get better. Okay, Tim Hood, yes or no? Yes, it will get better. Okay, thank you very much. Brent Brown at HP, Brian Kilcoris at RSR Research, Tim Hood at SAP. I think this has been a great conversation. Thank you for your energy, for sharing your insights, for challenging each other along the way, for bringing up some really interesting topics. And, yes, you will be invited back for Part 3, so you can count on hearing from me. Shout out to Wilson Zhu at SAP, who initiated this topic on Transforming Your Business with Game Changers, our other series. Uh, thank you so much, and thank you for letting me borrow this panel. I think they're wonderful. And a shout out to Brad and the Business Ta- Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow with a new episode of what's tomorrow oh innovating innovation with game changers we have four series sharing the thursday morning time slot so i'll see you at 10 a.m eastern here's my call to action you know what it is fasten your seatbelt. what are you waiting for go out and be a game changer today bye bye thanks again for tuning in to coffee break with game changers presented by sap the best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.